Really excited to be finishing up um, this series, why it's called Amazing Grace, why it's called Amazing Grace. I hope this series has been helping you and, and ministering to you. I, I've really enjoyed teaching it. Uh, it's ministered to me throughout the week as I've been getting it ready. So I'm excited to be, to be wrapping up Grace today. Walter Wink tells a story about two peacemakers who visited a group of Polish Christians 10 years after the end of World War II. And the peacemakers asked the Polish Christians if they would be willing to meet with other Christians from West Germany because the Christians from West Germany wanted to uh, ask for forgiveness for what Germany had done to Poland during World War II. And and they wanted to know if if they would be interested. So after they asked the question, the, the group in the room was silent. There was silence in the room and And then one man spoke up, one of the Polish Christians spoke up, and he said to the peacemakers, what you are asking us to do is impossible. Our streets are soaked in Polish blood. He said, we cannot forgive. So before the group left that day, they did what they always do. They said the Lord's Prayer together. And when they reached the part of the Lord's Prayer that said, forgive us our sins as we forgive, everyone stopped praying. That there was this this awkward tension that filled the room. And, And the man who had spoken earlier spoke up after a few moments of silence. And he said to the two peacemakers, he said, I must say yes to your request. I could no longer pray to our Father. I could no longer call myself a Christian if I refused to forgive. And then he said these words, humanly speaking, I cannot do it, but God will give us the strength. And 18 months later, the Polish and the Western German Christians met together and they started friendships that are still going on to this day. In April 16, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote his famous letter from the Birmingham jail. 13 days earlier, the leaders of the Alabama Christian Movement of Human Rights started nonviolent protests to, to fight segregation and racial injustice in Birmingham, Alabama. And when Judge Jenkins ruled against demonstrating on April the 10th, it only took two days for King and the leaders of the movement to to be arrested and put in jail. And while in the jail, King wrote that famous letter from the Birmingham jail, and he wrote in his letter about the personal struggle that he was feeling to forgive. He was having this struggle to to be able to forgive the police officers who had uh, assaulted him and his followers and who were continuing to, who were calling them uh, vile and disgusting names. He was also having trouble forgiving the, the Southern pastors, the pastors from the Southern states who wouldn't support what they were trying to do, but instead were calling him demonic and, and a communist. So Martin Luther King wrote in, in his letter, he wrote that he actually had to fast several days to be able to find the supernatural strength to be able to forgive the people who were offenders against him. And he wrote in his letter, he said, on my own, I could not compel myself to forgive. I needed 
God's help. Let me, let me tell you one more story today. Rebecca had, uh, had married a somewhat famous pastor. And after a few years of marriage, it became apparent that, that her husband had a dark side. He, he would dabble in pornography and, and on his trips to, to other cities for conferences, he would solicit prostitutes. And sometimes he would ask Rebecca for forgiveness and some, sometimes he didn't. Eventually, he, he left her for another woman named Julianne. It was a humiliating process for Rebecca because some of the church members who followed her husband treated her as if his infidelity was her fault. And she, she was devastated and she began pulling away from, from people because she just was not able to, to trust another human being. Over time, Rebecca had this increasing sense that unless she forgave her former husband, that revenge would, would be a trait that was passed on to their children, and she didn't want that to happen. So for months, she prayed. At first, when she would pray, her, her prayers sounded like something that David would write in the Psalms. They were very vengeful. She would pray prayers like, God, I pray that you would give him what he deserves. Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? But as she continued to pray after a few months, she was able to let God determine what he deserved. So after months of praying, one night Rebecca got the courage. She picked up the phone and she called her ex-husband. And in a shaky, nervous voice, she said to him, I want you to know that I forgive you for what you've done to me. And I forgive Julianne too. When she was finished apologizing, her husband began to laugh at her and laughed at her apology. And he was unwilling to admit that he had done anything wrong. Rachel began to cry. Rebecca, excuse me, began to cry. But despite her husband's attitude, that conversation helped her to forgive and, to, and helped her to move on past most of her bitterness. So a few years go by and and one night, Rebecca gets this hysterical phone call from Julianne, the woman who had stolen her husband. The couple had been attending a conference in Minneapolis, and, and that morning, the husband had told Julianne that he was going to go out for a walk. But a few hours later, Julianne got a call from the police telling her that her husband had been arrested for soliciting a prostitute. Julianne was sobbing on the phone. She, she told Rebecca, I never believed what you told me. And even if I began to believe it, I just convinced myself that, that he had changed. He would never do it to me. She said, I feel so ashamed and hurt and, and guilty. And I don't feel like there's anyone on the earth who could understand what I'm going through. And then she said, but, but, I, but I remembered the night that you called us and you said that you forgave us. And I thought maybe that you could understand what I'm going through. And I know it's a terrible thing to ask and you probably won't want to, but is there any way that I could come over to your house and talk? And somehow that night, Rebecca found the courage to invite Julianne over to her house. 
And they sat in her living room and they cried together and they shared stories of betrayal. And in the end, they prayed together. And Julianne says now that that night, being welcomed by Rebecca, whose husband she stole, was the night that she decided to become a Christian. Today, we're ending our series, Why It's Called Amazing Grace. And for the last two weeks, we have been reminded about how God's grace is so amazing. And if you weren't able to hear those two messages, I really wanna encourage you to go to the website and, and find those because I think they're really important for you to hear because they're all about how much God loves you, how much God loves you, how crazy he is about you. And we've said each week in this series that religion says if, everybody say if. Religion says if we clean up our act, if we go to church more, if we give more money, then God will love us. But that's not true. Religion says if, but grace says no matter what, no matter what you have done, no matter, no matter what you will ever do, God loves you. He loves you. And he's, he, he wants, he's willing, and he wants to give you a fresh start if you want it. See, God's not up in heaven waiting to punish us or, or to pay us back for what we've done. He, he's actually a lovesick father who is just longing and waiting for a relationship with his child. And yeah, we abuse it, and yeah, we take advantage of it, but God still offers us his amazing grace if we want it. And so I, I thought for this last week, what we would what we would do is, is we would change the approach a little bit. And instead of talking about the grace that we have received from God, we're gonna talk about the grace that we should give to others. See, it's one thing for grace to be amazing as long as we are receiving, right? It's amazing. But it's another thing when we need to give it. Now, let me tell you what I'm not gonna do today, okay? I'm not going to tell you that it's not a big deal. I'm not gonna tell you that whatever somebody did to you to hurt you, however they betrayed you, whatever they did, I'm not gonna tell you that it's not a big deal because it's a big deal. I'm not gonna tell you that uh, forgiveness is a small thing and that it should be easy to do. I'm not even gonna tell you that if you can't forgive today, then you obviously don't love God because the truth is giving forgiveness is a very difficult thing to do. Our hurts run deep. Our, our scars, they never really go away. And I don't know how you are, but I know how I am. And it seems like every time I just barely get to the place where I'm healed up, somebody peels a scab. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then it just starts oozing and bleeding all over again, right? But what I am gonna tell you today is that if we or if you are unwilling to give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, then you have not fully grasped how amazing God's grace is to you yet. If you're not willing to give and to share grace to somebody who does not deserve it, you have not fully grasped the amazing grace that God has given to you. See, I'm living on house money, and you are too. 
What I deserve is hell. And there's nothing that I can offer God to make up for all of the sinful, stupid, despicable things that I've done in my life and that I continue to do. But for some reason that I don't understand, one day God showed up and he knocked on my heart and he said, Jason, if you want grace, you can have it. And I took it. I took it. And somehow when, when I want to hold on to the hurt that others have caused me and I want to hold on to the pain that I can't seem to let go, I have to figure out a way to remember that God showed up one day when I didn't deserve it and knocked on my heart and shared his amazing grace. See, offering grace was so important to Jesus that he stuck it right in the middle of the Lord's prayer right in the middle. You know it. Most of you guys know it. You learned it growing up. Can we just say that part together? We'll start with forgive us this day. Can we say that together? Come on, say it with me. Forgive us this day as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. All right, I'll refresh your memory. It's been a couple years. Now let's do it again. You ready? Here we go. Forgive us this day as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Gosh darn it, he stuck it right in the middle so we couldn't pass it up. And I love the act of tense that, that Jesus used in that prayer because it makes forgiveness a daily recommitment. In other words, it, when we pray that, we're saying, you know what, to the person who I forgave and gave grace to, we're saying, I forgave you yesterday and today when I woke up, I decided to forgive you all over again. So for the time we have left today, we're asking God to help us to have the courage and the strength to give grace to those people in our lives who don't deserve it. We need God to help us figure out how to be grace givers, how to be grace givers. I read a story recently about a man who decided to start his own business building housing developments. He had worked for some other companies and he had done well for himself, but now he felt like it was time for him to branch out on his own and to, and to build his own successful company. And so after he found some land to build his first development on, he approached three investors about securing a $3 million loan to build the first phase of the development. And they agreed, and so after a few weeks of paperwork, he, he was able to purchase the land. He was able to hire the contractors that he needed. He was able to purchase and, and rent the equipment that he needed, and development was underway. The first few homes were being built. The first few were gonna be sold. The rest were gonna be used as model homes to attract, to attract new buyers. And everything was going great until one morning, Towards the end of 2007, he was driving into work and he heard a report that several banks on Wall Street had collapsed and the stock market was tumbling. He didn't know exactly what it all meant, but he was sure it couldn't be good. And over the next few weeks and months, he watched as housing prices in his community and city just fell through the floor. He wasn't able to sell any of the houses that he had been building, he had to let go of his employees and he tried everything he could to keep his head above water. But after 18 months, he had to shut it down. There was nothing else he could do. 
and he had no way of paying back the $3 million that he owed to his investors. But he didn't want to file bankruptcy if there was any way possible. So he scheduled a meeting with them to see if they would be willing to work something out. Over the next few days, he, he tried to figure out what he was going to do. How, how, how do you come up with $3 million? I mean, what, what do you even say to somebody that you lost their $3 million? And so he decided to, to beg them, to tell them that he would pay them back if they would be willing to give him time, that he would pay them back $5,000 a month for the rest of his life. He thought it was a long shot. I mean, there's no way they were going to accept it, but it was worth a try. And even if they did accept it, where was he gonna get $5,000 a month? He didn't know. So the morning of his meeting, he, he was a nervous wreck and he had practiced his speech all the way to the meeting. And when he arrived, he, he didn't really waste any time. He, he just jumped right in. He began to fumble through an apology and he pulled out the paperwork of this ridiculous repayment plan that he was pitching to them. And while he was still talking, one of the investors stuck up his hand and interrupted him. So the man stopped. And the investor said to him, he says, what is this, what's this nonsense that you're talking about with repayment? And the three investors began to laugh. And so the man began to laugh, not knowing what was funny, but... He figured he might as well laugh since they were laughing. The investors said to him, they said, don't be silly. We knew it was a gamble when we made the investment. And besides, you could never repay us now anyway. And so they took the contract and they ripped it up and they told the man that he was free to go, no debt. Incredible, incredible story. Now, I want you to know that I completely made that story up. It's not true, all right? That didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't happen. Some of you guys are like, could I get their number? Like, I really would love to do that. It's not a true story, at least that I know of. Maybe it is somewhere, but I don't know. But I made it up because I wanted you to hear a story that you could relate to and in terms that you could understand. Because Jesus actually told a story just like that in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. If you have a Bible, you can read along. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Wow, what an incredible story. Who wouldn't want to experience grace like that? Come on. But Jesus keeps going because the point of his story was not how gracious the king was, even though the king was incredibly gracious. The point of the story is how foolish the guilty man is. So he keeps reading, 28. But the man, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will repay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told 
him everything that had happened. Then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then in verse 35, he says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Drop the mic, walk off. Wow. Okay, listen, now let me just say that before we go any further, that last sentence is pretty strong, okay? And I'm not completely sure what Jesus literally meant by that. Nobody really is because what he was not saying was that if you don't forgive, the cops are gonna show up at your house and they're gonna put you in jail, okay? That's not what he was saying. But let me give you my opinion of what I think he was saying, okay? In a way, I think Jesus was saying that if you and I refuse to forgive, then we are going to stay locked up. See, when we hold on to bitterness, hurt, and unforgiveness, we lock ourselves in a prison. And we think that somehow by holding on to this, we're punishing the other person, but we're really just punishing ourselves. And I can honestly say that in 12 years of pastoring, that I have never met a single person who was holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness or who held grudges who was a truly happy person. I've never met one. I've never met one person who was bitter and holding on to unforgiveness and holding grudges who was living or felt themselves completely free. Their decision to hold on to offense was keeping them more bound up than the offender. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. If you will choose to offer grace the same way that I gave you grace, then you can live in freedom. But if you don't, you will stay locked up for the rest of your life. I love so many things about this story. It really kind of preaches itself as you go down the page. We know that the king represents God. We know that the guilty man represents us. Jesus says millions of dollars, but when he's talking to the group of people who are listening at the time, there's no concept of millions of dollars. Nobody had millions of dollars. And so Jesus is just making the point. It's not about the dollar amount. What I want you to know, Jesus is saying is, this is a debt that could never be repaid. This is a debt that is unfathomable. How do you even get into that much debt? The people who are listening was probably thinking. Jesus just wanted you to know, like, this is a debt that can never be repaid. And then the man leaves and he goes and holds a debt against one who owes him a a few thousand dollars, a few thousand dollars. And there again, it's not about the values. Jesus wants you to hear that and to understand this is ridiculous. This is absurd. Why would anybody act this way? But I also think it's interesting that When the man refused to forgive the small debt, it says that the other servants who were standing around noticed what was happening and were confused. I think that's important because it's so true that other people are watching your life and other people are watching my life. And unfortunately, I don't know why it's this way, but unfortunately, the people in life, us, Christians, followers of Jesus, who have received the most amount of grace are not the most gracious people. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That those of us who have received grace struggle to be grace givers. 
And it is confusing to people who watch from the outside looking in, not being able to figure out how those who have been forgiven a great debt seem to not be gracious towards other people around them. But it says one other thing towards the top of the story when the man who owed millions could not repay the debt. Originally, the king said that the man, his wife, and his children would be thrown into prison until they could repay the debt. I think that's so powerful because it reminds us again that when you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness and hold grudges, you're not just punishing you, you're punishing the people around you that you care the most about. Some of us in the room have been so scarred and so hurt and so beaten down from from something from another relationship that we could not let go and we've brought it into a new relationship and we are now punishing the people in the new relationship because of what happened in the old one. See, when you refuse to give grace, you're not just punishing yourself. You're punishing the people that you love. You're punishing the people that you love. And the fact is this morning that we all know that we should forgive. I haven't said anything today that has caused anybody to say like, really? Like, like I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was supposed to forgive. You know that. The problem today is not knowing what we should do. The problem is being able to do it. The problem is being able to do it. And, and, the, and the struggle and the tough part about forgiveness is that every person in here feels like that your story is unique. You feel like that your situation is is outside of what Jesus meant. That if somehow you could just explain, if somehow Jesus knew what happened to you, somehow if if God knew what they did to you and how bad it hurt, that, that somehow your story would be the exemption from the Lord's prayer and the command to forgive those who have offended us. He said, Jason, you don't understand, I mean, I understand what you're saying and it's valid and I mean, I hear that, but you don't know my story and there's no way to let this one go. There's no way to forgive. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't make exceptions. He's patient with us. God is incredibly gracious and patient and we, all, we are all where we are on our faith journey and in our steps to obey God in the things that he asks us to do. And obeying God in difficult areas is scary every single time. So what I thought we would do for the last few moments today is I want to give you two thoughts, not to give you more information, but hopefully that will help you to take that step to be able to forgive and to be a grace giver. It's not rocket science, but I think it's something this morning that could help us to, 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 to take that step towards obeying God and being a grace giver. The first one is this. I'd love for you to write this down. The first thought is this, is that forgiveness takes supernatural help. Forgiveness takes supernatural help. Of course you can't do it. Of course you can't do it. Of course it takes supernatural strength. Offering forgiveness is just as much an act of obedience as giving or fasting or praying or anything else God asks us to do. It takes supernatural strength and help from God. I don't expect you to wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, I'm not even upset anymore. I'm good. It's all in the past. No problem. That's not the way it works. 
God helps us. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is all you need. My strength, God's strength, works best in your weakness. In other words, God says, the more incapable you are, the stronger I am. And so you can't do this on your own. If you're sitting here today and you say, Jason, I just don't know how I can do it. You're exactly right. You got to have God's help. And you got to pray, and you got to pray, and you got to pray some more. Those little soft, cute little prayers that you were taught as a kid, they won't cut it when you're having to figure out how to forgive somebody who has hurt you. You can't just pray, you got to pray through. Like Martin Luther King fasting in a prison, you got to pray through. It's like when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane the night he was gonna be arrested and killed. The Bible says that he went away an hour to pray, came back, the disciples were asleep. He went back another hour to pray, came back, the disciples were asleep. He went back another hour to pray, came back, the disciples were asleep, and then he was arrested. But while he was praying those three hours, he was praying through. He was praying so hard. He was so distressed. The Bible says he began to sweat blood. That was the the anxiety and the pressure that he was feeling about what God was asking him to do right in front of him. But luckily for us, he didn't just stop after one prayer or two. He went back until he was able to pray through and submit his will to God's commands and say, God, not what I want, but what you want. And hours later, when he was hanging on the cross, looking down at the people who had crucified him, betrayed him, mocked him, spit on him, he said the words, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. The only way you're able to look at a person who has crucified you and say, Father, forgive them, is when you've spent hours praying through. Forgiveness takes supernatural help. Listen, don't try to do it on your own. Let God help you. Let God help you. Forgiveness takes supernatural strength. Number two, second thought is this. Forgiveness is not permission to continue hurting. Forgiveness is not permission to continue hurting. The Bible is clear that forgiveness is not optional, but forgiveness and permission are not the same thing. To forgive someone doesn't mean that you have to keep putting yourself in a position to be hurt by them. So please don't hear something that I am not saying this morning. Hear me. If he is abusing you, forgive him and leave him, okay? If somebody keeps taking advantage of your generosity, forgive them and then stop giving them money, okay? If someone keeps lying to you, forgive them and then distance yourself as much as possible from their life. Forgiveness and permission are not the same thing. Not the same thing. So often I hear people say, well, if I forgive them, Jason, they'll just do it again. I, I, I believe you, most likely. But don't be around to let them hurt you again. It's easier said than done. It's not always that clean cut, is it? A lot of times it's a son It's a daughter, it's a spouse, it's a best friend. And you say, I just, I can't just cut it off. I mean, maybe you decide to stay. It's different for everybody. It's a a fine line that we walk. But some of you in the room today, you just feel this nagging thought or voice of the Holy Spirit telling you not to go, telling you to hang in there. 
Maybe it's a spouse who has cheated on you and you just found out. And it wasn't even just a one-time thing, but it, 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 was a, it, it was a different life. And everybody who cares about you and all your girlfriends or who all your friends are saying, you need to leave him, he doesn't deserve you, kick his butt to the curb. And that's not terrible advice. But you just feel this nagging thing inside of you that says, hang in there, give grace. Nobody really understands it. They think you're crazy. They view you as weak, but you just feel this thought that you need to stay. Maybe it's somebody in your life that you love that has an addiction. Listen, walking with somebody through addiction is a painful process. You forgive, they swear it's gonna be different. It ends up being them lying to you, taking advantage of you, sometimes stealing from you. And everybody who loves you and cares about you says, cut them off, don't give them another dime, don't help them anymore, don't answer their calls. And you think to yourself, but it's my son, it's, it's my daughter, it's, I can't just do nothing. And you feel this nagging thought from the Holy Spirit that says, just hang in there. Just hang in there, give grace and hang in there. And I'm not up here today telling you either way because it is a fine line and there is a tension there and I could not be able to tell you which one you should do. But I do wanna challenge you to ask the, ask the Lord to help you. And if you decide to stay, if you decide to not distance yourself or to not cut it off or to not start over somewhere else, then I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be a grace giver when it seems impossible to do it. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you as a grace giver to teach the offender something and he wants to teach you something at the same time. I wanna end by, by telling you one more story today. At the end of the Civil War, the North had, had won and um, Abraham Lincoln was getting heavy pressure from politicians and advisors to punish the South. He, he was hearing from, from politicians and friends and everybody saying, listen, now is the chance you know, the South has cost us lives. They, they, have, they, they've, we, they don't deserve to be an equal part of the union with us. So several days, Lincoln would, was, was pondering this, this question, what do I do with the South now that, that the war is over? And all the advice he was giving was drop the hammer, step on them. Now's the time to teach him a lesson. But there was this nagging thought, this nagging feeling in Abraham Lincoln's mind and heart that said that retribution was not the right course of action. He actually wrote in one of his, one of his journals when he was thinking through this, he wrote, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? So instead of punishing the South, he created a, a plan of reconstruction. Ultimately, his plan of reconstruction cost him his life, ultimately. But historians tell us now 
that it was that decision by Abraham Lincoln to forgive instead of go for retribution that allows us to this day to call ourselves the states of America that are united, the United States of America. So who do you need to give undeserved amazing grace to today? Like the Polish Christians to the Western Germans, like Martin Luther King to his oppressors, like Rebecca to Julianne, like Lincoln to the South. Who do you need to give undeserved grace to today? And decide, decide today for once and for all, I'm not going to be bound and chained and locked up. No matter what somebody does to me, I'm going to be a grace giver. Let's pray.